everyone. Thank you for finding time to lounge with me here in Le Vital Core Salon. We are 29 episodes into this wild podcasting ride. And if you're new, I'm Kara Snyder and I am your host and salonair. And I like to introduce all of the type A frazzled women the imposters, the activity or overscheduling addicts, and the recovering perfectionists among us feel welcome and have an opportunity twice a month to meet cool women who are not letting bullshit or burnout slow them down and show up kind of warts and all. Like sometimes you're going to hear guests that are really working through stuff and getting it right. And sometimes we introduce you to guests that are feeling their way through things and figuring it out and navigating life transitions and social life and relationship transitions. And I guess this is a place where we can just step off the pedestal and learn from each other in a really authentic and caring way. And so that's what this show's about. And if you're new, welcome. If you're not new, thank you for coming back and tuning in again. I'm still Kara. You probably know that pretty well because you hear me introduce myself at the top of every show. I just want to remind everyone, and I think I already did swear, but sorry about that. Time in is everything, I guess, sometimes. If you have tender ears yourself, please pardon the French. Sometimes my guest and I, when we get going just use the language that comes really natural to us and sometimes that includes cuss words so just know that in advance and also if you have tender ears around you but you're you're fine then just pop on some headphones um just so nobody is offended around you and it's an interesting time of year right like I don't know about all of you, but like Halloween candy was like everywhere and then it was like the Halloween bonanza and it sort of disappeared onto the 50% off racks everywhere you go and we're deluged by pumpkin spice everything and pecan flavored everything this year and weirdly all the maple stuff, which I don't know, I'm a New Englander, you know, born and raised and maple sugaring time of year is actually in February so I don't know what's kind of going on this year but I've been seeing a ton of mapley stuff I'm rambling of course here but I guess I also want to remind people like it's really hard to stick to a diet and feel healthy when like all of these things are popping up around you And so if you're someone who's having trouble saying no to all of this crap food and too many social plans and too many drinks and too many little voices in your head saying, don't get up and work out, don't move your body, skip meditation, stop with the self-care, just get all this stuff done. Really, I just want to let you know you're not alone. I've been hearing this kind of pressure building up in a lot of my client sessions And I also just want to say, this is the work that I do. I know sometimes I sort of tangentially talk about it during the interviews. But what I do is help frazzled women get their shit together. And what I mean by that is looking at their foundational habits and meeting them where they're at in terms of diet and rest 
and exercise and stress management and social relationships and looking at what that's doing to their body, how that's affecting their work, how that's affecting their sense of creativity and and problem solving and really looking at how we can navigate and negotiate for better habits in those areas that aren't miserable, sucky, or based on deprivation. So if just hearing that is interesting to you or you're just curious and and want to talk to me and figure out if what I do is what you feel like you've needed but haven't known where to go, then come to my website and take a look around. It's vitalcorewellness.com. So V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S, like the French kind of core of, or army core of engineers. And then wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com. So not only will you find the podcast and show notes there, you will also find an opportunity to schedule a phone call with me to just talk about what's going on or drop me an email. It's Kara at VitalCoreWellness.com because you don't have to have it feel so hard or difficult and especially at this type of year where everybody just the pressure just ratchets up and it doesn't have to be that way. So I just present that as an option for you to consider about how you want to end this year differently and start your next year really differently. And it, it begins by laying that groundwork now. And it's interesting that I'm talking about this because today's guest, Dory Hagler, and I, weirdly, there's this thread of intentionality that comes through her work and comes out in our conversation. And it, it threads its way into some of the self-care that she shares that she's doing especially in light of some of the really emotional and important work that she's doing out in the world. And I guess maybe I should back up and give you all a little bit of sense of of who Dory is. But Dory Hagler is a long-form documentary photographer and also an activist. And her work has appeared in all sorts of places you've heard of. I'm talking the New York Times, Glamour, New York Magazine, the San Francisco Chronicle, and literally so many more places. But she also has started a project, and I think this is where we are kindred spirits in a lot of ways, around her project Me and Eve, which is part photojournalism, part portrait, part just witnessing other women and hearing their story and really holding that space for them in these 10-minute increments. And we are going to talk about what happens in those 10 minutes and sometimes the transformation that she sees and what she learns. And it's such a fascinating project. And so I want to encourage all of you to listen and also to check out Dory's work, both her professional work at Dory Hagler Photography. And I, this is also professional work, but it, it really is this passion project for her at Me and Eve. So do check out the images. It's one thing that gets lost when you do a podcast. There's no images. 
So I want to encourage you while you're listening or after you listen or maybe before you give a listen, you can find all the show notes at levitalcoresalon.com. So do check them out and I'm going to have links to all of our sites so you can just like quickly hop over to all of them. And I could probably just keep gushing about this. I think you're all starting to get a sense that when I am loving something that someone's up to or just really digging a person, I could just ramble on. I'm going to try to contain myself a little bit and I'm just going to take us over to the interview. So voila, meet Dory. Hey Dory, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Hi, Kara. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to share what you do. I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Yay. And I, I know we only have a limited amount of time together, but I literally, I think I looked at the questions I wanted to ask you about four times last week. And I was like, do I want to add more? No, I got to take some off this list because there was so much about your work that deeply resonates with me. Oh, well, I'm so glad. That's why I do it. Yay. And so maybe as a starting place, so we can get other folks listening on the same page. You're a documentary photographer and the founder of Me and Eve. I feel like I want to touch on both pieces of your work. Uh Maybe which one do you want to start with? Well, I can start with the documentary photographer piece and kind of explain what that means. What it means to me is it's, it's similar to being a photojournalist, except that I'm not always working for, say, a newspaper or a magazine. I have done that in the past. My first professional job as a photographer was at a local community newspaper, and I loved it. And it's kind of um, where I solidified the idea that visual communication was definitely what I wanted to do with my life. And I'd say the documentary photographer piece is that, you know, now I'm a freelancer, which means I take uh, assignments from other people, but I also self-assign a lot. And the assignments that I assign to myself are usually long-form stories that I will photograph for um, months and even years. And I've had, you know, one project that I did for a newspaper where I did a monthly photo column for my local paper when I lived in New Mexico for eight years. One of the projects I've been working on since moving to New York was about a community that celebrates and practices Santeria and about the store where they practice because it's essentially almost like the Walmart of spirituality. It's a three-story massive building in the Bronx that sells uh, spiritual items and in the basement makes them. And on the top floor, they have people reading tarot cards and also have weekly and monthly drummings and ceremonies. So a lot of my personal work does have to do with how people connect to the divine. Wow. And I I love that you describe it as the Walmart of spirituality. I just picture this beehive of people and like candles and religious artifacts. Yeah, it's everything. It's like hard to, I mean, when I first moved to New York, so when I lived in New Mexico, that column that I did was called 
viewfind and the project was actually called Keeping Faith and it was similarly about how the Hispanic community in the upper Rio Grande Valley, um, how they maintain their community and and I focused on the traditions that they did every month, some of them being religious, some of them land-based, some of them um, just culturally based. And so when I moved to New York, my daughter, my older daughter was on the gymnastics team and one of the her teammate's father owns this store. And, and the mom was telling me about the store. And I said, it's a what? She said, it's a Botanica. And, um, you know, it's been owned by three generations. His family is Sephardic Jews. And his grandfather started this when they came over to the United States. And it used to be out of their apartment. But now it's this online business. And a three-story massive building in the Bronx. And I was like, I, I have, I have to see this. You know? <laughs> like, what is this? What? Like my mind blowing up. Oh, and they're Jewish. They're Sephardic Jews, but they sell all of this Santeria stuff. And I'm like, what? So I went and I'd say for the first like four to six months, you know, I would visit maybe once a month. And I, I really did not know how to tell the story. Like every time I went, something wacky and wonderful was happening there. And it took a long time. Like I, I did what I call taking visual notes where I just go and I shoot whatever's right in front of me and try to make sense of it later. But in doing that, and the reason why I like long form work is that people get used to seeing me, I get to see who are the sort of consistent characters or workers or uh, community members that are there because I'll see them more often. And, you know, and then I become more accepted into that community or at least they get to know me and trust me and I get to understand what they're doing because I'm never, you know, trying to misrepresent what somebody's spirituality is. So, yeah, so it took it took a while to figure it out. And they've told me that people have come there, news, someone wanted to do a reality show in there, news, radio stations have come, you know, uh, TV stations have come, and nobody knows how to tell the story of that place because it is so uh, complicated and vast. I'm glad you mentioned how you take notes on a place visually and and kind of immerse yourself in it. Because I have to say, when I went to your website, when I was, you know, let's be honest, stalking you, <laughs> one of the things that struck me with some of the the work you've done is you looked like you were in it. Like you were very close to the subjects. It seems like, you know, it was happening around you. You weren't like from the outside looking in necessarily. You know, not that you were actively partaking in what was going on. You were capturing it, but it seemed like you were in there. And I guess like, it's helpful to hear about your your process and why that looks like it does. You know, yeah. and it made me wonder, especially like with the men's prison photos. I was like, how how did this work? <laughs> like Well, you know, so being a newspaper photographer, often I don't have whatever weeks, months, you know, years to work on a project. Sometimes it's like, you know, you have 30 minutes to go to an event or a place and tell a story. So I think I honed my skills that way. And so I know how to do it quickly, but I also really try to capitalize on when I have the opportunity to take time. And, and I appreciate that more um, when I have the time with those pictures in the prison. I actually 
didn't have that much time. Uh, I had one day there. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I think when I work and I have a deadline and I have parameters, like that specific assignment was for uh, Tina Brown Live Media. She hired me to go with her. She was at the prison also, but I showed up earlier. That's, you know, one of the, you know, that's sort of one of the vows we take as a photojournalists is to, you know, show up early and stay late because that's when the exciting stuff happens. So, (laughs) you know, I was there earlier and got to take a tour of the, of the prison. And it wasn't the first time I'd been in a prison taking photographs, but it was the first time I'd ever been in like, you know, uh, a prison with 3,800 men incarcerated. Like that, that was massive. And again, one of those situations where I, I know I'm feeling a lot, but I try to focus it and, and, and see, you know, move those feelings from maybe what I'm thinking or feeling in my heart and direct all of the energy through my eyes and then later go through all of the shocking or sadness or, um, you know, just depressive thoughts that come up when you see what our criminal justice system looks like right now. But I... I think part of it is that, you know, and you can't see me and you can't see me on my website either, but I'm five feet tall and really petite and I'm a woman. And so I think when I walk into a men's prison, I am not a very threatening looking and B, they don't get, I mean, they get to see women, but not that often. And so I think there's a playful quality to me and there's also a way in which I think I really believe that um, that we're all more alike than we are different. I, I really believe that. And I know that it's just for maybe the deck of cards that we each have been dealt that I'm standing there with a camera making photographs about them and that they're in there in a uniform serving potentially a life sentence. And so I don't think that we're that different. And it's, and it's my job to sort of get that across in a photograph. Yes. And I can completely relate at four foot 11 and like a hundred pounds that we're really not scaring anyone. And it, for me, one of the things I hear a lot is like, you are a force of nature. And it always like cracks me up. I'm like, do you realize I can't pick up like a 50 pound bag of flour very easily? <laughs> like, I don't know what nature I'm forcing, but... <laughs> Well, I think just, you know, that energy that, you know, yes, I I get that too. I also sometimes I find it funny that people will often comment that my photographs are taken from, well, for one, it's great that you you felt that I was part of it because that is that intimacy and that access is something that editors um, have always commented on, on my ability to get access to things that most people don't get. Not just they maybe they get the physical access to be in the prison or to be at the Santeria ceremony, but they don't get the emotional access that that I seem to get. And I I do think some of it has to do with my size, but some of it just has to do with my, you know, my personality and and my approach to um, storytelling. But yeah, the, and then sometimes editors will comment that they really like the physical perspective of like, oh, you, sh- you know, this is such an interesting perspective. And what they're not realizing is like, I'm shooting through the fence, not because, um, not <laughs> because, because we can't see over it. <laughs> I can't see over it. Right. Or I will go low rather than go high. Whereas it just, I mean, there are a lot of small 
women who are photojournalists, and, and we laugh about this. But the majority of the photographs that we see taken in the world are taken by much taller people. Oh, I never even thought about that, like uh, like the physicality of that. But it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a great point. Yeah, like you and I are experiencing the world in a dramatically different way. Like I remember, you would probably appreciate this. I'm a terrible photographer, but I found it funny one year. Where was I? Like either at South by Southwest or like a music festival. And I remember I was there with a friend who was like six foot two, six foot three. And so jokingly, the entire weekend, I made him snap a picture from like his face height. And then I took a picture of like what I saw standing next to him. And it was Mm -hmm. funny, like his was of the stage and mine was like literally the shoulder blades of the the dude in front of me most of the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly yeah and you know actually just before we got on this call I was um as I mentioned I'm applying for a grant and a fellowship and I'm talking about in some of this um you know in the application about how another thing that people don't often think about is that since the beginning of using visual imagery both film and photography as a way to tell our global story, you know, the way we think about history, the way we've thought about World War II or the Vietnam War or any of these major events in our world have been taken mostly by men. And so that perspective that we have from that global visual archive is very skewed to one gender. And so I'm aware of that, too. It's not that I think that women should take all the pictures, but I think if we have, it would be far harder to understand the experience of women if it's always being photographed through the eyes of men. And so, you know, one of my, I guess, passions is trying to increase how many women are taking pictures or that I pick stories where I do get to focus on women and photographing women because I am a woman. And I feel like this is where you have so much going on that is so interesting. And I think the reason why Jamie Lee had connected us in the first place, just kind of recognizing I'm trying to dial up women's voices and examine their lives through through task lists. So like I've got my own little like nook in the world. But Mm -hmm. I think when Jamie learned about your work and experienced it, she was like, you got to talk to Dory. (laughs) That's great. That's great. I mean, I love it. I mean, so I guess I could, um, you know, segue into talking a little bit about me and Eve and and what I did with Jamie so that the uh, listeners know what this is about. I had this idea uh, that, you know, just wouldn't go away. One of those ideas of I, you know, what does it look I, like I, for you? Like, I'm always fascinated by how that naggy little itch manifests for different folks. What's how does it come I to mean, you? Sometimes I write it down, you know, your list thing is, is apropos, you know, sometimes I write it down. Sometimes I share it out loud. Sometimes I start to picture it, you know, like I, I have, um, I describe it to my daughters, too, because I know they they have it as well. But, you know, I got through college um, and and did well 
academically, often because I have what I call my whiteboard in, in front of me and in, in my brain that I can write on. And I have a little bit of a photographic memory. So I used to write my notes out in a way that I could visualize them while I was taking the exam. You know, I wouldn't have to have them with me. I had already taken a picture of them with my brain. And so I could conjure up that whiteboard or that piece of paper. So, uh, how cool. I know. I mean, it's not as sharp as it was in my in my younger <laughs> days. Um, there's too much on the whiteboard right now. But, but I can use it when, when needed. And so sometimes I will take that picture of that whiteboard. And so I already, like, I have a picture of what I want to do ultimately with this project, me and Eve, like, I, and it's not going away similar to the way that the idea didn't go away. And so, you know, I, I used to say that instead of doing street photography, when I lived in rural New Mexico, I did dirt road photography, you know, because that was more what I was photographing these traditions in a rural in a rural place. And then I get to New York and I think partially because of my personality, you know, people just share their stories with me. They just, they just do. And I'm, um, forever curious. So I'm interested. And I think people can tell when someone says, Oh, how are you? But they're looking at the person behind you. And when someone says, Oh, how are you? And they're making eye contact with you because they really care. So I'm the second kind, you know, and I, so I, I had this idea of, you know, all these stories are so amazing that people share with me on the subways, whether I have my camera or not. And I thought, well, I should really be, you know, publishing these and doing something with them. And at the same time, it was around when um, Humans of New York was exploding, you know, and, and Brandon was getting, you know, a billion, jillion followers. And part of me thought, oh, I'm too late to the party. He's already done it. And there's times I've had that thought before. I mean, I had had that thought earlier in my career when I was like, why am I taking pictures? There's so many better photojournalists in the world. And, and um, you know, and had to sort of work through those doubts of realizing that it's not about whether you're better or not. It's about whether you have something to say, whether you have something to share and, and how passionate are you about it. And, and the fact that I can't stop being a photographer, even if I wanted to. So I thought, okay, well, you know, Brandon's doing this and this is great, but this isn't the way I would share a story. And this isn't really what I would want to do. And at the same time, this was before the election. This was before Hillary had announced her candidacy. But I was just kind of feeling this wave of I don't know whether you want to call it tapped into the zeitgeist. I'm not sure, but just this wave of feminism of like enough already, like just enough. This has yep. got to change. This is ridiculous. 72.9 cents on the dollar is what we earn. Like, give me a break. You know, and I'm watching my own life of raising kids and being married and, and just the, the ratio of how we break up tasks and how much work I'm doing and going like, this is insane. This is even going on in my own life. I have to, I have to stop this. <laughs> so, and it's so culturally I, pervasive. It know? is. It's, it's culturally pervasive. I mean, and I've created, I created it on some level. My kids were used to me doing things because I was the one who would do them, you know? And so they would always ask mom, 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 you know, there were, <laughs> 
a kid's joke. There were a couple of days when they were younger where, I don't know, six o'clock at night came around and I just said, you know what, guys, you just have to call me Dory for the rest of today. Tomorrow <laughs> I'll be mom again, but I can't hear you say mom to me one more time. It sounds like that Family Guy sketch where Stewie's just like, mom, 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 mom. It's just, it's just... Yeah. never stops. Yeah. It's just now, you know, and they weren't trying to drive me crazy. I get that now, but <laughs> I was being driven crazy. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. And, and what actually happened is I, is I started working at this co-working space called grind and I worked there not all the time, but you know, I live in New York. I work out of my apartment often and when it gets dark and cold in the winter and I'm feeling isolated it's nice to have another place to work and be a little more social and not worry about the laundry that isn't done so I joined a they started a female founders group there and I joined it and at the very first meeting you know we went around the room introduced ourselves and talked about what we wanted to do or what we were doing and I introduced myself, said I was a photographer, but what I really wanted to do is this project called Me and Eve. And I had, you know, kind of a little mock-up, PDF mock-up that I had done, and I shared that. And then we met once a month. So by the next month, I was like, all right, well, I put it out there. I put it out in the world. By next month, I need to have something to show. And so I sort of (laughs) used that group as like – you know, what do you, what's the word? An accountability group. Yeah. And so I showed up this month and I was like, boom, here it is. Here's my website. Like it wasn't done, but I had it. I had a website and I had one or two features on it. And then everyone was so excited about the idea. You know, they call me the mascot of that group because like everyone <laughs> in that founders group really rallied around what I was trying to do and helped me make connections and really supported it when I needed support. And, um, so I always, you know, kind of say that it was, you know, it was, I was lifted up. This project was lifted up by women, you know, who, who wanted to see it happen as much as me. So th- then I just started, you know, photographing women wherever I, whenever I had time, wherever I would go. And at first I did kind of longer interviews of them. And then I realized people don't have time to read that. So I condensed them. And then I formulated a question, just one question, and I ask everybody the same question. And what's fascinating is how different everybody's responses are. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I was still thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I can really change the world like Brandon of Humans of New York, who can raise like half a million dollars in a day for some organization when he wants to, when I have a million jillion followers. And so that was still kind of my goal. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe I had 50 or 100 uh, features of women already when I realized, oh, my God, the activism is actually in those 10 minutes that I'm spending with someone, that I'm looking into their eyes and asking them about themselves and, and writing it down them and hearing them yeah, in this yes, really real way a picture it's 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 one-on-one there's no devices I turn my device off I'm not distracted like it is 10 minutes of focused time on a woman and asking them about their life and 
something happens. You know, I don't know how, again, I'm applying for a grant. They want to know, how will you measure your success? I, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, like, how do you me, bottle that? How do you, I don't know. There's no graph for this. There's no, um, yeah, I can't plug in any numbers and, and, and do any kind of formulas. What I do know is that there is something that the women thank me. I see it in their eyes. Sometimes, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, it's fortunate. Sometimes they will share with me awful things that have happened to them. I think I calculated that at least 10% of the women have shared some form of sexual violence with me. And sometimes I know that that's what they're thinking, but they don't share it because they don't want it to be on the internet. Sometimes they'll tell me that and I will ask them because I, you know, I feel like I must say, like, I am happy to witness and hear this and you just shared it with me. Are you sure that this is the story you want me to publish online? And generally, if they've shared it, they will say yes. And um, so I, I feel like, and it's not just those stories, it's, it's any of the stories that I, I just feel like there's, I'm giving something to them. And they're giving something to me. I don't walk away unchanged either. And I would describe it as, um, and, and it, I would describe my method of activism of tossing a pebble into a body of water. So I'm tossing a pebble and it's going to ripple, right? And so yes. the first, you know, me tossing the pebble is like, I'm doing something. There's my action. I'm trying to make a difference in the world. And then, you know, the first two ripples are me and that woman. But then there's more ripples, right? They go throughout their day feeling heard, feeling valued. And that's going to change whomever they encounter and whatever they do that day. And I am changed by the experience. And then, you know, JV told you about me. And so now you and I met. And now all the ripples is everybody who's listening to this right now. So that's how I guess I'm measuring change is... I'm not measuring the online audience as much, or I'm not giving as much weight to how many people see these features on my social media platforms or websites for me and Eve. I'm measuring it based on actually each individual woman. Like that's, that's the change. And I can honestly say that I I remember when I realized this, I realized you know, I had always wanted to do something where I knew I had make a, made a positive difference in the world, that that was one of my goals in life. And I was, you know, I've been a Peace Corps volunteer. I've been a, you know, I've volunteered for this and that. I've been on the, you know, I was a newspaper photographer. Like, I've been a very active participant in my community, um, locally, nationally, and globally. And But I realized that I could go, I could die that day happy because I knew I had made a difference. And when I realized that, and it was this project, it was like after I had photographed about 100 women when I was like, wow, oh, it's those 100 women. I've changed 100 women's lives. I can die happy. Wow. And because I imagine just the energetic shift you see in people, like it's connecting a lot of dots for me mentally as I'm listening to you. Because as a coach, like, I know, and especially, like, I work with really stressed out women. So sometimes at the beginning of a session, like, I had a client not that long ago, and I said, how was your, how were the last two weeks? And she said, I didn't kill anyone. 
<laughs> like that feels like a win. I'm going to celebrate that because she was so stressed out. And then by the end of the conversation, and again, being seen and being heard and having me ask questions and be just with someone, like with no interruptions, one-on-one, you know, I see the change at the end of that, that hour, you know, and I can see like it goes from like I was just trying to get by every day and not throttle someone to, <laughs> oh, here's some possibility and I just need to look at the next couple of weeks. I imagine you are doing this really intense, like accelerated version of this. So like when you approach women, how do you approach them? Like what's the energy like at the beginning of this interaction versus the end? I wish that there were a way to calibrate that because it's... it's There's your metric, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's remarkable. So in addition to saying like about 10% will share something about sexual violence, I would say it's less than 10%. In fact, I could probably, it's less than 10 people, I think, who have actually said no to me in a year, almost, well, it'll be two years in March that I started this project. So in a year and a half, people, most people have said yes when I approached them. Now, part of that is that all of my years of studying people and watching people and being a photographer and understanding body language, I understand when somebody's available and or interested, right? So I'm not going to approach somebody who's bustling past and looks incredibly stressed out or is yelling at someone on their cell phone or tugging that kid very quickly <laughs> through the market, right? I'm not, I mean, so in the very beginning, I was like, oh, wow, women don't have a lot of time like they are not hanging out lolly gagging around they're just not that's what I was thinking I was like wait you actually found women that didn't fit into any of those respective categories right so sometimes it's who I find and when I go looking for them so sometimes you know lately I will do one of two things like if I'm photographing someone you know professionally for an assignment but I get to know them and I can tell like, oh, this would be a good story. Like I just produced a series of um, short videos for, you know, for a watch company for so for commercial purposes. But at least two of the women I met, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to do me and Eva on these people. You know, I'm going to I've already photographed them doing what they do and hanging out with them. Now I just need to interview them. And so then they say yes, because they've already spent the day with me, you know, and they're fine. But I also... You know, I was in Venice, I think Venice Beach, California in um, in July, and I just walked along the beach and asked people, just went up to complete strangers. And that's what I normally do. I went up to a young woman who was writing in her journal. I thought, oh, well, no, she's having a quiet moment to herself, but, you know, maybe she'll be, maybe she'll be, uh, you know, open to it. And she was, or there was a woman who was, you know, doing hula hooping. And I was like, all right, well, she's doing her hula hooping, but she's not performing for anyone right now. So, you know, I look for people who are available. And then sometimes out of the blue, I've started thinking that my energy is such that people will come up to me in public places. They don't even know I'm necessarily a photographer because I'll have my camera stuff in a bag. And they'll be like, oh, hey, would you be willing to take a picture of me here in front of this building? I'm like, yeah, sure, fine, you know, and I take a picture of them with their camera, and then I say, hey, 
can I take a picture of you with my camera and tell you a little bit about what I do? And then they say yes, you know? And so it's been very few people who have said no, but I also, you know, know who to ask and when. And when I was on an assignment in Guatemala, I, you know, met a lot of women on that assignment and just, you know, interviewed every one that I met that I could. And then I went to Cuba in the spring and I really wanted to, you know, I did a bunch of features of me and Eve features and really wanted to do even more because I, I had unfortunately found that through the photographer's eyes of, you know, foreigners who go to Cuba and photograph Cuba, often it's like these beautiful women with their head, you know, kind of daydreaming outside of the window of some classic car, you know? And I was like, that's what we think of as like the Cuba female, Cuban female. And I was like, yeah, I'm not so okay with that. So (laughs) I went and, you know, initially I actually thought I wanted to go into the backs of cars and photograph women in the back of cars and ask them, what are you actually thinking when you're looking out the window and, you know, all these photographers are taking these beautiful pictures of you. Are you actually thinking about sex? Cause that's how they make it look, but I'm, I'm guessing that's how they're thinking about. <laughs> so, I love oh. your disruptive energy. It's sort of like wanting to capture it and, and have it be, incredibly real and authentic in that moment but then like there's also this energy of disruption and and what the feminine ideal is or at least how it's preserved in film yeah yeah I mean I just you know it just had I've just seen so many I mean there's so many great photographs and photographers who have gone to Cuba but um I just kind of feel like there's this one kind of stereotype that I see in, in pictures of women from Cuba that I just, you know, I was like, there's got to be more to them than this. I'm sure there is. So I didn't actually get to do as much in Cuba as I would like to. I mean, that's, that's a trip I think I could take again in the future. So that's kind of like how you're choosing people. Maybe you could talk about when you approach them and what that energy is like versus what comes out on the other side. So maybe you could speak to like the, the transformation that happens. Okay. So sometimes I'll take the picture first, just a picture of them. And, um, again, it's an interesting project for me because if you do go to my website, you will quickly see that the pictures I take for me and Eve are, are different, very different than the pictures I take for my documentary projects. Incredibly different. (laughs) And partially it's because, and I guess I'm the first one to say it, um, and I think it's why this project hasn't really been picked up necessarily by the photography community, because they're not great portraits. They're good portraits, but they're not like there's nothing earth shattering about these portraits. But I'm intentionally trying to make the pictures flattering for a variety of reasons. One, because I want the women to feel good about the picture when they see it online and I want them to share it, too, because I'm old enough to know that most women are not going to share or feel good about a gritty picture of themselves or something that makes them not look as good as they could look. So with 20 years of shooting weddings in my belt, under my belt, I can make anybody, you know, I can quickly take a photograph of someone that is flattering. But they still look very real. So I want like the listeners to understand they're not 
like this they're doesn't look like yeah they're not glamour shots at all <laughs> yeah they're not glamour shots and they're not um yeah I don't do a lot of photoshopping to them I mean I, I I might do a little bit of lightning and a little bit of this and that but I'm not I'm not going in and giving them what I call a, dig- a digital facelift like I'm not doing that <laughs> Um, and, but I, I think that when people are actually being seen and feeling authentic, authentically talking about who they are and also trusting the person who's in front of them, you know, it's not that hard to get a photograph that says something, because I think what I'm really trying to capture in those images is something about that energy that she and I are sharing. There's a glow and, that happens yeah, when someone some feels fully expressed. Yeah. And and I think that so, – so sometimes I take the picture first and then I'll ask them the question. And sometimes I'll ask them the question first and then take the picture after, kind of depending on – you know, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just kind of what I'm feeling in the moment. And then sometimes I'll take the picture before and then I'll have a conversation with them and they're just so animated after the conversation that then I'll take another couple of pictures but I mean typically I'm only photographing you know maybe eight to ten frames of the person and uh, that may sound like a lot to listeners who aren't photographers but that's nothing yeah <laughs> like normally if I'm doing a you know uh, a headshot shoot or I'm doing some sort of you know uh, commercial assignment I am taking many many more pictures and I'm spending you know 15 to 20 you know to a half hour photographing someone not two to three minutes so this is um this is a very distilled form it's you know it's sort of you know it's like dory cliff notes like i just get to it and find a way to do it and then the same thing with distilling the question so the question is what is something that's happened to you in your life that stands out as memorable or significant that would not have happened if you were not a woman and i ask it just like that wow no leading it's not and people will say oh well you know a good thing or a bad thing and I said well you know it's that it's your 10 minutes (laughs) yeah it's up to you you know what and sometimes people will come up with something right away as I mentioned I now understand the look that comes across that I see flash across someone's face when it's something unpleasant but they're not going to share it and they may even say well I'm not going to share that one and and actually, when people do say that, when they'll say, I don't want to share that one, I'll say, if you want a witness, if you want me to hear it, but not write it down and not use it, I, I can do that. And you can tell me something else that you want to share. Just because I think sometimes people need that. Um, wow. Just what an, a, a gift. Listener. Dory, that yeah. is an amazing gift you give people. Like, there are people that go through their entire life carrying a well of secrets. And it's... It's funny that we're having this conversation because not that long ago, I went to a fundraising event for an organization called the TMI Project. And like <laughs> their whole their whole project is about helping people craft and develop and organize like those stories that feel like too much information, like the stories that you normally leave out. And so it's mm-hmm. fascinating I feel like this is like popping up all around me in my world or I seem to be attracting this kind of energy right now. But it's fascinating to me because it's like you you give them a place to park this story, which, you know, I learned from 
seeing what goes on at the TMI project, like just the catharsis. And I mean, I see it in my own work. Like I jokingly say a lot of the time that I'm like a huge receptacle for people's secrets. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not just going to the grave with my own. I'm going to the grave with, you know, eight years of my client's secrets at this point too. Yeah. And I it's mean, a gift. I think- I mean, I feel like, I mean, I am not, obviously, I'm not a professional therapist, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not a social worker, and I'm not any of these things that maybe some of these stories could be beneficial to people. I mean, there was one woman, (laughs) I actually love this, so my co-working place, Grind, um, I was there, and I was at one of these Grind Female Founder meetings, and I left, and I went to the bathroom, and on my way to the bathroom, I saw this woman in the hallway, and she was, you know, one of the janitors, and she just, and we smiled at each other, and she had the most beautiful smile. I went to the bathroom, and I ran back to the meeting, <laughs> which was ending, and I grabbed my camera, and I was like, ah. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta go. Gotta I gotta track down the, you know? the janitor. So I ran and you know went to find this woman, and I found her in the in the men's bathroom. Actually, she was cleaning the men's bathroom, and she was beautiful. And um, and I speak Spanish, and she only spoke Spanish. So I told her what I was doing, and I interviewed her, and I took this picture of her. And I, I mean, I really. I love the picture because she's got her rubber gloves on and she's standing in a men's bathroom, but she looks so proud and happy and attractive. And, you know, I just like, I love, I love everything about it, you know, like, cause some people with rubber gloves on cleaning the men's bathroom might not have as much self-esteem or like just power as this woman. I, she was just, it's not that they wouldn't have it. I just don't know that they would be, it was emitting as much light as this woman was emitting, you know, I was like, wow. And so I photographed her and spoke to her and, and and she told me about uh, being sexually molested and abused as a child in the country where she was from. And she told me she kept it in for many, many, many years. And then finally told the nuns about it, you know, at her church And then telling the nuns was very, you know, cathartic for her. And then she started, you know, basically they started counseling her. But then she moved to the United States with her kids. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like I try to be a resource and I say, you know, like, you know, do you have a therapist here or have you tried to find someone or, you know, encourage them to continue finding the resources that have helped them. And um, and I think I gave her some suggestions of, you know, places to go. But, you know, again, I'm not. So when I say I listen, I listen, but I don't like I don't try to give advice. Or say I love anything. that you use the word witness. Like there's something really powerful about just having a place to put that. Like the people don't even need the answers a lot of the time. They just need that space to be held for them for a few moments. And you being there and actually being so present, so focused and and coming from such a loving, supportive place, like that is really powerful stuff, Dory. (laughs) Well, thanks. I mean, I've been fortunate, I think, to have people do that for me as well. And so, um, you know, and I guess I feel like that it sort of comes with the territory, you know, that people trust me because I'm trustworthy and people share with me because I care. 
but then I care, right? So I have, I mean, one of the difficult things about this work and, and when I was a younger photojournalist is, is understanding where to create that boundary, you know, because I am witnessing it. But when I was younger, I would also take it on, you know, and it was sometimes too much. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember covering a, a home, a story about homelessness and, um, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of different personalities and people and circumstances involved in, you know, the homeless epidemic in our, in our country. But, um, sometimes I would kind of bring it home with me and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't save everybody. I can't fix the world. It's not mine to save or fix, but I do think that witnessing is, is important. And I think that there's, I think, unfortunately, social media has had a way of making people feel even more invisible and that we're a little bit obsessed with um, celebrityism. And so if you're not a celebrity, you know, you're not important. And, yes. and I don't think that that's true. And I think that most people in the world, the vast majority of people in the world are not celebrities, right? Because yes. there would go the word celebrity. So, but, but we strive somehow to attain that, or we're always seeing those people as more important or, or something to aspire to rather than just accepting that most of us aren't that and that makes that doesn't make us any less important so that's also you know part of this project is that I'm not and you will look you, you know you'll see like yes I, I would love to you know I would love to have Michelle Obama on me and Eve for example you know I would love to have Tina Fey on me and Eve for example but those are people that I really admire and I would love to hear the answer to their question and I would love to photograph them but I'm not interested in actually making this about famous people we hear enough about them really yeah. you know we do so uh, the only reason why I would even like pursue something like that is because I would want that opportunity to actually have that 10 minutes with them. And then, of course, when they share it, then if they were to share their interview or share me and Eve, then that many more people would get to see the other women's stories. So it would be a vehicle for getting a wider audience. But organically, I mean, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like calling up people's, you know whatever press agents and being like, Hey, can they be on me? And it's like, if it happens, it happens. Um, I mean, as it turns out, when I was at the March in DC, the women's March in DC, I met a woman, photographed her and then found out that she is, uh, was Michelle Obama's, um, director of policy. In fact, this tiny, yes, four foot 10 or 11 <laughs> woman is the woman who spearheaded let girls learn. And you know, wow. her name is Krishanti. Her name is Krishanti Vijnaraha, and she is actually running. And then I found out she's running right now for governor of Maryland. She's the only woman in the race, and, and you know, and this all happened organically, you know. And so she's used the photo on her website. She asked for permission, and then she put me. And then uh, Glamour did a feature on her last month, and they used the me and Eve picture, uh, you know, in the magazine too. And, nice. you know, and she happened to be, she happened to be pregnant at the time that she was marching with her at the time. I think it was, you know, three month, you know, in utero, three month old baby daughter. Um, 
And now I think that child is, I was born in June, so this is a few months old. Um, and that was just great. You know, it's like, that, you Whoa. know, it, that, that happened organically. You know, I didn't know when I photographed her anything about this. And, and now, actually, I'm trying to, you know, by, by doing Me and Eve, um, I did a Kickstarter campaign in January and I raised $16,000. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, to do, I, I have these great T-shirts. You can see them online that say, uh, damn right, I ate the apple. That's the tagline <laughs> for, for me and Eve. And so I sold a bunch of those and, you know, did this Kickstarter campaign and then was invited to teach a workshop in Santa Fe this spring about art and activism. And I taught it with the photo editor, Mark Merman, who's the photo editor of Mother Jones magazine. And so then when I got to find out a little bit more about Krishanti, you know, and, and so this is kind of how my world works. So Krishanti is running for governor and I started thinking about it and she's, you know, in her early forties and she is four foot something and she's originally from Sri Lanka. So she's an immigrant and she's dark skinned and she's a woman and she's short. We don't elect short people in this country. No. And, and we don't elect women either. <laughs> we don't elect women, but we definitely don't elect short brown immigrant women, you know, and she is, and she has a, an infant that she, you know, or a small child that she's taking with her as she campaigns, you know, like, you know, she's got, she's got this baby. Yeah. She's like racking up all the points against her. And so I was like, exactly. She has everything against her going against her for, for being elected in our country, but she's running anyway. And so I pitched the story to, and I think Emily's list actually, um, went after her and, you know, convinced her to run and are supporting her kids. They're supporting her campaign. And so I actually pitched the story to, um, to mother Jones and I'm waiting to see they're interested and we'll see what happens. But it's funny because, you know, I'm a mom and I'm a freelancer and I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off and she is doing the same and trying to arrange times for us to meet or talk or for me to, you know, make photographs of her life. It's, it's comical because, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's not easy I was in DC last week doing a shoot for another client and I was like oh can I come and photo?" you know and we had a plan for me to come and photograph her that completely fell apart because she had to last minute do something in Baltimore you know it just and the kind of work that you're you're open to and I I laugh because friends over the years have always told me and I finally figured out a term for it I'm cosmically ajar right? Like I'm always open to what's serendipity going to deliver today? Like that. And I truly believe much like I think you do that every woman has a story, right? It doesn't have to be just the celebrity story. Every woman has their stories. And if we can somehow plug in and connect to each other's stories, we can learn and grow and re-energize in a way, both personally, but also as a, a collective group of women. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And I think some women, you know, even ones that I'll ask, they'll be like, well, I don't know, I'm not that interesting. And then you just like, you, you tap on the crack a little bit. And all of a sudden, there's this amazing story. You know, you're like, what? You were just telling me nothing interesting happened? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that expression, tap on the crack a little. And I just picture like, crusty life bits falling off to make room for like the person to emerge. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, yeah, feel, I mean, one time I was at, I guess I went to Philadelphia for the DNC during the election. And I remember I was photographing just, you know, people I saw, like, I didn't actually have, you know, a ticket to go inside the building, but it didn't really matter because actually I think the more interesting things that I was looking for were just happening, happening around on the streets um, outside of the event. So there's this woman and she was part of a group and, you know, they were holding up signs and I don't even remember exactly what the, the, I didn't at the time register what the signs were about, but I ask her if she wants to participate. She says, yes. I ask her, you know, what's happened, something in your life. And she says, well, you know, I became a mother. I was like, "Uh uh-huh. You know, and sometimes people will just say that they'll be like, you know, well, I'm a mom as though that's not interesting to begin with, which it is. And as though it's not important, which, or that it's all the same flavor. (laughs) Or that, well, that's exactly my point. So then I said, well, tell me something about becoming a mother expound a little bit. So now it turns out that this woman tells me this story about how she was pregnant in high school. Her family didn't know. She didn't tell them. They were going to, you know, she said they were putting her on a diet because she thought they thought she was fat. At a certain point in the middle of the night when she's, you know, almost nine months pregnant, she's having pains. So she calls a friend says, you have to come pick me up and bring me to the hospital. She sneaks out of her house. She goes to the hospital. You know, they have to keep her in the hospital because she's, you know, in, in not in great shape, I guess, and, and possibly in labor, you know. And so, and she passes out. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. She doesn't pass out. So, so the friend, she, and she's like, you can't tell my mom, you can't tell my mom or whatever when she comes to pick her up. But now she's in the hospital. So the friend is like, I have to tell your mom. Yeah, so like goes, we, we can't hide this any longer. Yeah. So she goes and tells her mother, goes back to the her, her friend's house, tells her mother. The mother passes out, like passes out, literally passes out. And like got a case come, of the vapors, like so yeah, emotionally like, overcome. Like that. so emotionally overcome, like and the, you know, and this young woman is, I think, like sixteen at the time that she, you know, that she got pregnant, and so, you know, she's thinking, you know, the mom comes to the hospital, and, and and the girl was planning on giving the child up for adoption, so the mom comes to the hospital, and the girl says, you know, I'm going to give the child up for adoption, and you know, the mom, and then, and that's what they're going to do, and then the baby's born, and the not the mother of the child, but the grandmother now of the child says, no, you know, no, we're, we're, we're keeping this baby, you know, we're going to raise this baby and I'm going to help you. And so they raise the baby who then when he's 19 years old gets killed at a gas station because some kid was getting initiated into a gang and had to kill someone. This kid gets killed. I don't even know what to say. Right. My, so I'm just standing you're, there. What you're hearing I, is my heart breaking. Yeah, and, I, and I'm standing there going, this story never would have come out if I didn't tap on you. She said I was a mom. And then I realized she's holding a sign that this group of women are there because they're asking for gun control legislation. And the picture of the person who's on the poster that she's holding is of is her dead son. Oh, my God. You know, and so I guess that's what I'm saying is like, you know, sometimes you just have to know when to, you know, just push a little bit, you know, ask another follow up question. Um, But yeah, that story was pretty amazing. 
and also and, recognizing that like you're it's not about forcing the person to come forward it's about sort of saying it's okay to come forward like you're inviting them like hey you don't have to give me the let's talk about the weather answer to how are you like I right. have enough fortitude as a person I am open to receiving this I'm open to witnessing this I'm open to being with you in these 10 minutes as you express this. Yeah. Yeah. So Dory, I have to ask the question because I think it's something that I'm wondering, but I'm sure a lot of other people listening are wondering. That has to be incredibly triggering for you on an emotional level. And I know you mentioned having to learn the boundary lesson. Mm -hmm. So how do you decompress? (laughs) What do you do for yourself, like, after these moments? And that one was hard. And and there's been a few others that have been hard. But I I have to say that mostly I walk away just so grateful that this this is what I do with my life, that I'm able to meet these people and that I'm able to share in these moments. Like, I walk through my world knowing I have really very few regrets and that I've gotten to see – and connect and live in a way that a lot of people don't get to. And so if the if what's shared with me is painful, it's not that I'm grateful to hear or experience that pain, but I guess I feel that I'm more alive because of it. But in terms of like, yeah, I'm an intense person. So yes, I do need to decompress and you know, I exercise, I run, I do yoga, I paddleboard, I'm learning to surf, I, I love to dance. I mean, I'm a very kinetic person. So I go out into the world with my camera, which obviously requires a certain amount of strength. And, you know, if anything, I was, you know, I was just doing a, an assignment for about a week with a cameraman. And I was, um, you know, for the first time, not behind the camera, I was actually directing and producing some videos. And, you know, and he's this young, mellow guy. And I'm just, you know, I wonder sometimes if my enthusiasm and overt optimism isn't sort of a lot for people to handle. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm hyper, but I would say there's a, I'm a lot of energy packed into a small package. I 100% can relate. And I guess this is where this question's going to come from. Do you find you have to dim that or moderate that a lot or do you just let it go and like I don't, let people sink I, or swim? I don't feel like I have to moderate it that much, partially because, you know, I'm going to be 50 soon and I've, I've lived long enough that I'm tired, you know, so I don't <laughs> think I have. You're like the I dimmer switch is I, broken. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that it's as bright as it used to be. I do remember... I remember when I was in college and I was working on a on a film. I had an internship on like some made for TV movie that you probably would have had to pay me to watch. But I remember, you know, I was in the I was on the production team. I was production assistant on, in the art department, and I remember this other young woman who worked there, probably about the same age as me. And I think her dad was in the business too. And I remember her coming up to me one time and just being like, "So." what's your deal? Did you like actually have a happy childhood or are you on some sort of drug that you're willing to share? <laughs> <laughs> That's and, amazing. 
time. <laughs> and which was just so funny at the time. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yes, I had a chap happy childhood and, and no, I mean, I think everybody has both sort of, you know, uh, and, and I think by being a photographer and by, you know, I always, you know, I used to joke like what comes first, the depression or the camera, you know, especially <laughs> with women, I think. And I've dealt with my, I mean, for as optimistic and as, um, you know, energetic and positive as I am, I've, I've dealt with having kind of a depressive personality and I, I often say that I'm just allergic to my own hormones. So like any major hormone shift and I will have to deal with my, you know, my darker self. And, yeah. but I think having dealt with it and yeah, having to go through therapy and yeah, having to learn a lot about myself and having some, you know, real dark patches in my life. I think I've come out on the other end just realizing that, you know, you, that everybody has, you know, that ups and downs, but that part of being an artist or part of being a creative is that you're just more attuned to it. But that also means that I'm more attuned to the joy and the happiness and the sweet moments as well. It's just, you can't have one, you can't just pick and choose which emotions you're going to be open to or resonate with. You have to resonate to all of them. It's like you can't play music and only and leave out some notes, you know, forever. It would be yes. lifting. It's a bundled package. Like we're yeah. buying a bundled subscription to this thing we call life. Yes. And with you know, it comes the joy and the pathos and the anger and the sadness and the anxiety. Right. And so all of that. So, I, you know, I've burned through the anger. I'm tired. I've burned through a lot of the anxiety. I'm tired. And so what I'm left with now is sort of uh, the exuberance is still there, but it's uh, it's tempered, I guess. Got it. So not manually taking it up or down and sort of modulating in certain spaces, but just the whole climate of your being has has weathered mellowed. a little and mellowed. Yeah, it's, it's mellowed a bit. Yeah, uh, you know, like a, a good wine, I suppose. Yes, <laughs> but I, um, and I, also, I get it, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you kids, sleep deprivation. I mean, I yeah, I was like an angry young 20-something who joined the Peace Corps and thought I was going to change the world, you know, and got very upset you know, learning about United Fruit Company and was always very politically angry. And, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I, I can smile and laugh at that Dory now, but I also know that, like, that led to the mellowing and, and, and my understanding kind of of activism that, yes, anger can motivate the desire to act, but anger burns too quick to actually facilitate a change. Yes. And Dory, act you do. Like you've been taking action in a lot of different ways. It sounds like from your 20s, like true, like really out there on the forefront of activism. And then it still weaves through all of your work. You know, for listeners, do check out Dory's work, her professional work, and then also this passion project, Me and Eve, which is still an extension of your work you know, you can see these threads that we've been talking about. But I, I want to ask this question because I think it's important, and especially for any other creatives listening, 
which there are definitely some. How do you keep acting? How do you keep going? Because I mean, being a creative and, and, you know, even just when you were describing earlier, you know, when we were sort of talking about the serendipity behind some of these photographs and what's come together as a result of them, there's a lot of running around for you. Like, how do you keep your shit together and how do you stay resilient? I think it's a really good question. I think it depends, you know, on the, <laughs> on on the, the day. day, the week, the month, the year. I actually, you know, ha- having mentioned that bit about my hormones, I, I do, you know, have mapped and do understand kind of which part of the month I'm better at, say, going out and making pictures and which part of the month is better for me to be kind of at home in my own space doing post-production. So some of it's managed that way. Um, Some of it, like lately, I've been like the entire month of September, I've been go, 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 go. And I thought, oh, yay, October 1st, I'm going to rest, you know, and then that (laughs) didn't really happen. As I mentioned to you, I have like four deadlines today. But I am aware of it and I'm trying um, to to make a reasonable schedule for myself. And I do know that being more mindful about that schedule will just increase how much I enjoy my life and my kids. It's gotten a little bit easier because my kids are older now and you know my younger one is 11 and so she can stay at home for an hour when I go to the gym or for a run. You know where it was harder to uh schedule that sort of I mean I hate to call it me time because it's not even like me time. It's like I have to do this if I'm going to function in the world. I have to go to the gym or especially I, as someone kinetic. Like if that energy doesn't have anywhere to like get burned off well, that like you're going to burn out, out, right? And I have, you know, I had kids a little bit later in life. I mean, I was 38 when my younger one was born. And so I yeah, often tell her when she's like, why do you have to go to the gym? I said, because I have to keep up with you. Like, do you want me to be like this tired mom, you know, in a couple of years? It's like, you know, no, you walk, dear. I'll, I'll be over here watching, you know, so... <laughs> I, you know, I have to, I mean, the other bit of the resilience is I think I can't not act. Not acting is more harmful to me than acting. I think, I think that's just, you know, where it comes from. You know, the times that I've tried to put down my camera, something happens, you know, I'll get some great assignment out of the blue. And it's not that I'm a particularly religious person, but I just always feel like sometimes there's some sort of sign or some sort of, you know, serendipity, as we've spoken about, that that is just keeps pointing me down the path that I've been on. And now that I've been on it so long, like I'm not necessarily qualified for a nine to five job um, any longer. But you know, that's okay. I've accepted that, but I'm probably not going to have a 401k and a benefits package in this lifetime. But I have, and then just being a kinetic person, I'm more comfortable moving than I am sitting around thinking about stuff. You know, there's times where I've, you know, I have hit rock bottom at least once in my life. And I'm, I'm actually, you know, uh, I've split up with my husband recently and you know, that was very hard, but I also realized like, well, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to like, I can either 
move forward. And, you know, it, it was a good decision for he and I. It was the best decision for he and I. And it's actually freed up a lot of energy for me, for myself and for these personal projects that I'm working on. But, you know, you, you get to those crossroads and it's like, oh, am I going to be woe is me and be angry about, you know, that that relationship ended? Or am I going to use what I learned and move forward? And, you know, so I think in my second, in the first half of my life, I think I chose cynicism and negativity as somehow, I don't know, some proof that my mind was active. And the second half of my life, I am choosing joy and um, gratitude because why not? It feels better. <laughs> I was going to ask you why, but I think you just answered it for me. Like, why not? Yeah. Right? Because I, I think a lot of people listening also are experiencing major transitions in their life. I know my clients who might be listening to this, certainly a lot of them are going through a divorce or getting to the top of their corporate ladder and then sort of standing there going, is this it? Like mm -hmm. all this, is this it? Like I made it here and this is it. I guess like what has helped you choose joy? Well, one, it feels better. For two, I think just, I mean, I've been plugging along and plugging along and plugging along at this career and this life for a long time. And I think I'm starting to see the rock move, you know, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing. And now it's like starting to roll down, like a, there's a little less effort needed. And, and, and I'm watching my projects have an impact. And like I said, reaching a place where I'm like, wow, I have made a difference. You know, like, I, I think a lot of people like me, and maybe a type women, or, you know, people who have large ambition for themselves, we don't think that we are enough. Like, I think it's kind of a core belief, like I'm not enough, you know, and we set goals for ourselves that are unachievable. And even if we reach them, we will often say like, well, that's not really enough. Like it really needs to be here. You know, like I, yes. I have right now for me and Eve, what I was saying that I can visualize is I have had this idea for like the last at least year that I really want to use the advertising space inside subway trains to feature these women and their stories during Women's History Month. Like, I just want to take oh, over a train. And amazing. every time I sit down on the train, I see it. Like, I can see it, you know? And I want that to happen, you know? I, but the difference is, I think, in my mature Dory state is that I can say, if that happens, I will be so happy. Like, I, I really want that to happen because I think it will make a big change. But I can also say, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that this project has been any less important. Or you know, that you're and, not enough. Or that I'm not enough. Yeah. Like, I think that I worked through that idea of not being enough and I am enough and sometimes I'm too much, <laughs> but I am enough. <laughs> and I think that, you know, women often, and I can speak, you know, from being a wife and a mother, like I, it's not hard for me to put everybody else's needs first. In fact, it's almost, you know, the go-to. And, um, and I think for many of those years, 
that took that caretaking role, that maternal role, and warped it into being a caretaker rather than a caregiver, you know, and, 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 and that's, you know, sapped my energy, kind of zapped me. And so now I, I feel like I have some of that energy back and ironically, you know, so I'm doing less for others and yet I'm feeling that I'm enough because I think when I am doing for others, I'm doing it from a place of joy and doing it from a mindful place and being really present, you know, and enjoying cooking for my family or shopping and being creative in what I do or planning the holidays and doing it from a place of like, I don't feel put upon anymore. I feel like this is a choice that I've made and I'm happy to do it. Because I think this is something that so many women struggle with. And (laughs) just that, that tiny distinction of being the put-upon caretaker versus the caregiver and the intention behind that changing everything. What helps you stay rooted in that, right? Because it's, I feel like these are the kind of habits, you know, this is why I don't work with clients. You know, I, I do single sessions, like as an initial place for people to kind of experience the work and figure out if it's like the right kind of thing for them. But most of my clients I work with over six to nine months because I know having a conversation like you and I are having right now and talking about this essence of caretaker, caregiver, and changing habits and changing your intentions and how you interact with the world, it takes time. Right. And there's relapses like where we're like, okay, you know, like on New Year's, I'm going to do X, Y and Z. I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write in a gratitude journal. I'm going to do all these things. But if we don't really bring the energy and intention and focus to it as well, it kind of falls off the radar. So I guess that's where this next question is coming from, which is a long way of getting to it. Sorry. Um What helps you stay rooted in that? Because I'm sure it's easy when the phone starts ringing, clients start calling, kids start needing something. All these things are happening and maybe all at the same time and three grants are due today. And how do you stay connected to that? Well, I think... You know, there's a couple of things. One is, you know, this motto. Well, I have a, I have a few <laughs> mottos. One, which, you know, suits me because it's from Dory the Fish. I was like, oh, finding Dory. I only had to wait to be 49 to be found. That's awesome. But, it, uh, you know, just keep swimming. I mean, that's kind of what I do. I just keep swimming. Um, the other one is that I, I really... I, I heard it, I res- it resonated with me, but I don't think I really started living it until recently. And that is don't Ooh. let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So uh, my perfectionism was getting in the way of me actually being able to make enough money, you know, that I spent so much time on projects and wanted everything to be so perfect or would turn down assignments because I wasn't sure I could really do it as well as I'd want to. And now I've realized, like, okay, as a working artist, you know, not as somebody who the king is paying to go make photographs, like, I have to get paid. Um, I can't be that 
level of perfectionism. Like I have to just get it done, get it out in the world and deal with, you know, criticism if that's what happens, you know, and normally it doesn't. It's me. I'm my biggest inner critic. So if I'm okay with sending it out into the world, usually it's fine. I'd say the other piece is, and again, it's not, you know, it's not that like splitting up with your partner is the answer to everything. But I, I think realizing that my marriage wasn't working and being able to say that and make that decision, you know, together with my husband and make that change of, you know, splitting up was kind of the hardest thing I'd ever done, you know, and we were married for 20 years and together for 24 and, you know, we've shared tons of adventures together and have two wonderful kids together, but as a couple, it just wasn't working. But I think to get to that place and, um, make that decision. And that was really scary. Like now I'm not scared of many things. You know, I was never scared of say snakes or (laughs) mice or jumping off a bridge or, I mean, people have often said I could have won Survivor. Like, I'm not afraid of those things. I'm obviously not afraid to go into a maximum security prison. I've been known to yell at people much larger than myself, you know, on the streets when I shouldn't. You know, I've <laughs> I've done some things that should have maybe landed me in a hospital, but haven't, fortunately. And But that piece was hard. And so now I'm like, oh, I think I've learned how to ask for what I need. And that that's a big piece of the puzzle for me. I'm able to ask my kids for what I need. I'm able to say, I really need you to do this and this and this without being resentful or angry or whiny. And when they're whining at me, I'm able to calmly (laughs) say, I'd rather you ask me in a non-whiny voice. I hear it better. And so I'm much calmer, you know, um, than I used to be you know, even just a year ago, I think. And, and that calmness and, and just ability to say, you know, (laughs) you know, I, I just think being clear versus being angry is, you know, I think I've used anger a lot. I think I've felt put upon and when people are put upon, you know, and they feel backed into a corner, any animal, you know, we're all animals when it comes right down to it, we lash out or we attack. And I don't feel backed into a corner anymore. And so I don't have to lash out. It sounds like there's this freedom for you, just being able to express what you want. And it sounds like you're doing it so clearly. And I know, like, as a mom, it's probably, there's probably those moments where you're like, well, I wish that would have went clearer. (laughs) (laughs) Or calmer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not like Mary Poppins. Exactly. Although we talk about Mary Poppins, it's funny because if you've watched the movie and I, I point this out a lot to like my kids, those kids loved Mary Poppins, but it wasn't because she was like, she had really strict boundaries. Those kids were supposed to do things on the spot at a certain time. And if they didn't, you know, like I was like, she, she was a taskmaster that Mary Poppins. It's just that she happened to take them to do fun things too. And so I kind of, aspire to that right like we go and we do fun things but um in order to go do those fun things you know you guys have to do your chores yes like the the train has to stay on the tracks like we get to do fun stuff we get to go to cool destinations but the train stays on the tracks (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, and I found like, you know, even this summer or, you know, just as they're getting older and as I'm getting clear and able to ask for what I need, they like, they volunteer their help. Mom, do you need help? Wow. Thank you. This is all I had to do so long ago was. um, So Dory, there are questions I like to close with. And I think you sharing your experience about being a mom and being heard and learning how to use the agency that you have for yourself. I, I think like you've given us so much context about who you are. And I have questions that I like to ask most podcast guests because much like you like to see how people answer the same question so dramatically different and all over the continuum, mm-hmm. that's, these questions are born from that same energy. What would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? I think I would like to see modern women give more of a shit about holding men accountable, actually. (laughs) I mean, I know that's a very sort of angry feminist, you know, whatever uh, approach. But I remember last year I was invited to go to the State of the Women conference that was in D.C. Wow. And, you know, get get to watch uh, Oprah interview uh, Michelle Obama at it. And I remember Oprah asking her some question about men. And, and I, I remember Michelle's answer was, you know, just be better. Like, men, just be better. And, um, and it's not that I think men are bad. I don't, you know, I love men. Yes. And, uh, and in fact, I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm not a transgender woman, but I do feel like I have a very prominent male part of me too, you know, that I'm not, that I am masculine and feminine and that in fact, sometimes my brain, I feel like, and what upsets me or what, what I want to do with my time and energy is, is more male sometimes than female, than, than stereotypically female, um, But I I do think, you know, I was reading that article yesterday in the New York Times about Harvey Weinstein, for example, you know, and thinking that this man over three decades has systematically created a culture in his company to take advantage of young, insecure women. And there were both men and women who watched it happen. And I'd say that's what I would want women and men to give a shit about. Like, I would want women to give a shit about it enough that they came forward and called him out on it, you know. And I would want men to care enough. I would want women to hold the men accountable. And I would want men to hold the men accountable. Like, we can't do it on our own. Yes. Um, I mean, I think we can, but it would look much differently if we did it together. And I think it would be longer lasting and happen faster. And easier. I mean, the whole, like, changing that whole paradigm is not easy. But right now, if only 50% of us are committed to making that change, then it's it's going to be harder all the way around. I mean, one of... 
one of the most difficult conversations you know I've had with my 16 year old daughter who is you know beautiful and voluptuous looking and likes to wear what she likes to wear she's incredibly intelligent incredibly smart academically very driven strong young woman and I'll give her a hard time for wearing what she'll wear to school because I just I don't think crop tops belong in school I don't believe you know like maybe I'm more traditional that way but I always say look if the kid sitting next to you in math class is wearing a crop top and the teacher can see his belly button as well, I'll shut up. But that's not the case. And if you don't think you're being judged based on what you're wearing to school, you're wrong. And but we don't argue about it anymore because I, you know, I told her she's old enough. She has to come up with her own standard about what's appropriate. But the conversation, you know, having with her where, where she says it's not really is it my problem that people find that inappropriate? Is it my problem that men will catcall or that my clothing will distract boys or whatever? She's like, that's not really my problem, is it? And, and she's it's hard right to dispute. Yeah. It's hard to dispute. And but I will say, look, I don't make the rules. I don't even like living by the most <laughs> of the time. But if you're okay with the fact that you may not get into the college you want to get into, and you may not get the job you want based on what you post on Instagram or what you wear to school, then I'll shut up, you know, and, and that's where we've left it. But that, that was a hard conversation to have because, you know, and she'll be like, mom, you're a feminist and you're body shaming me or clothing shaming me. You know? And, and it's, and she's right. And I'm right. You know, we're both right. She's right. She shouldn't have to care. But the truth is, she does. So I think much in the same way that there were a lot of women who didn't who didn't love Hillary Clinton as a politician because Hillary Clinton had to play the game like she was a woman in a man's world. She had to make decisions based on being a woman in a man's world, whereas like a woman now might make different decisions or govern differently. And I think, you know, my generation and younger is, doesn't necessarily resonate with the pantsuit Hillary Clinton. True. And, you know, and I think the same way with uh, with my daughter, you know, I'm like, I don't make the rules, but I, I do know that based on the clothing you wear, your school uh, administration probably thinks differently of you than if you dress different than if you dressed more uh, conservatively. Yeah, it. it what I'm hearing is this, again, this like sense of being very intentional. It's like, these rules suck, but this is what it is right now. And, you know, you can sort of work to change them, or you can work within these constraints to make sure that you are accomplishing what you want to be accomplishing. And, and being intentional with that decision. Like, okay, I can, you know, and I wrestle this all the time. Because I'm quite kinetic like you are. Like, I need to be moving. I need to be comfortable. In between client sessions, I'm jumping on a trampoline or stretching or just doing something to be in my body again. And then at the same time, I know, like, when I'm doing a speaking event, okay, heels and a dress are good. But, like, sometimes those are the times where I want to be able to freely move my body and be comfortable in what I'm wearing. You know, and I... I I struggle with even just that as a grown woman. Like, do I wear the hooded sweatshirt and jeans and the vans that I'm going to be able to, like, move around when I'm talking to people and not feel restricted in any sort of kinetic way? 
Or do I dress the part and and look, quote unquote, professional, because that's what's expected of me, you know, in in a scenario like that? And how do you balance that? And then also, how do you balance that like gender wise, right? Like, I'm fascinated with, you know, when I watch the um, the defiant ones, the docu with Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And one of the most Mm -hmm. fascinating aspects, I was like, Dr. Dre wears a long sleeve black t-shirt, the same pair of jeans, and the same pair of Adidas sneakers every single day. Like, that's his uniform. And, like, how does, you know, like, how can you get away with that as a dude, but yet it seems much more complicated as a woman sometimes? Yeah, I just bought these boots, which I absolutely love, which are sort of like my combat (laughs) superhero boots. And I love them. You know, and I get so many compliments on them, although my kids were like, Mom, you're too old to wear those. But, you know, I saw I saw the movie Wonder Woman, yes. you know, this uh, this summer. And I loved it, you know, and I got out of the movie and I was like, you know, I think my next career move, I'm going to be an Amazon warrior. I just need, need to be a little taller, you know. We should start stretching more. <laughs> Yes, exactly. But then I saw these boots and I'm like, all right, well, if I can't be Wonder Woman, I can at least have these boots. You know, So I love them, actually. I just bought them about a month ago. Love it. <laughs> They're great. But yeah, I mean, I used to, when I lived in New Mexico, I could dress very differently. I had this pair of red vintage, or not vintage, these red cowboy boots that I actually bought at a thrift store that I used to wear when I would shoot weddings. You know, that doesn't fly in New York with these black million-dollar <laughs> events. Like, can't show up in my 1940s vintage dress and my red cowboy boots and just be, like, cute and funky. Like, that doesn't fly. I have to wear, you know, black tie apparel. And so I guess, you know, trying to teach my daughter that while also trying to teach her to be, you know, uh, a modern woman say is, is interesting. But I mean, I think my best, you know, the best decision I made just cause we would argue about it every day was, you know, okay, she's a junior in high school. She knows she's going to college. She knows she's going to have to do all this. I'm going to just leave it up to her, you know, and she can live with the consequences, you know, so long as she's not in harm's way, which she isn't, she's tough as nails, you know, then I'm just like, okay, you know, see what happens. It's how we learn. It is how we learn. And I want to ask the opposite question now. Conversely, mm-hmm. what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? Oh, wrinkles. <laughs> As a 40-year-old, I, like I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. Yeah, I just, you know, it's sort of like, I'm going to equate it to photographers. So, um, you know, photographers or or in any field, right, the the newbies will charge less for something. And and in doing so, they are driving the price down for everybody sometimes, right? If they're giving away this and doing this and, you know, and it's what, you know, businesses will do too, right? They'll open, they'll give specials to get all their customers and then they'll raise the rates. But in the meantime, all those other mom and pop businesses that were in business went out of business because the newbie came to town. So I, I guess I kind of feel like all the women going out and getting plastic surgery and Botox are sort of doing that, you know, like you're kind of cheapening aging, 
<laughs> you're making it you're making it this uneven playing field and very unrealistic and i also want to say as a photographer i have been to events and photographed you know like a million dollar events with very wealthy people in attendance and some really bad plastic surgery where you can tell that everybody's like it's weird you can walk in and 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 I joke, it's like you can see women will have, you know, women in their 40s, 50s will work very hard to have very sculpted arms. I get it. I like to have sculpted arms, too. And then faces that don't, like, really match the rest of their body or how old you know that they are based on the, you know, like, it's yeah. just, it's this disconnect. And, and I wish that we could accept our aging a little more gracefully. I would also like to tell all those women out there who are concerned about wrinkles that as a photographer, the best, this, this is what I say, you control where the eyes go. So this may not sound like a feminist <laughs> answer, but a good bra is better than Botox. Oh my God, I never would have thought that. A good bra and a flattering neckline and good posture. Good posture, yes. Is, more, is much more effective than than not being able to smile and have your face move. <laughs> Sage advice. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So that's one thing I would like them to get, wrinkles, <laughs> like a little less on the wrinkles. And I feel <laughs> like we've moved all around and we've learned so much of your story and You've been so generous. I want to give you the opportunity to take the mic for a moment. What do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know? Well, I'd, I guess I would want them to know that they're not alone. You know, that if you're listening because you are like me and, and like Kara and you're kinetic and you're trying to accomplish a lot in the world, I want you to know that you're not alone, that there's an army of us out here, too. Um, but that you are enough. And so, you know, focus on what you're good at and let go of the stuff that, you know, maybe you're not as good at and, and realize that what you're good at is probably what you should be doing. And then um, I guess I would also want you to know that if you're if you were in to follow me, I mean, I don't mean this as like a hey, follow me on Facebook, but if you follow me, you'll know where I am and, and, and which part of the country or world I'm in. And if any of you want to be featured on me and Eve, you know, get in touch, get in touch with me. If I'm in your region, get in touch with me now. Let me know where you live. And, you know, if I'm ever in that neck of the woods, I have, you know, people have reached out to me, someone from LA, a friend of mine, actually from the female founders group had a friend that she said, I you really should feature this woman. And I said, well, that's great, but she's in LA, <laughs> you know, and then I was in LA. So I looked her up and we, you know, had this great connection. And so, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's random who I meet, but I do take recommendations or volunteers, so to speak. The only thing is, is if I do do your feature, you may not have your hair and makeup done that morning and you may not come looking glamorous. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there a good way, like what's the best way for women listening that are like, I'm in Nashville or I'm in Texas or I'm in Idaho to let you kind of um, just know where they are and that they they're interested? You could um, message me on either Facebook. So I have a couple of Facebook uh, accounts. I have Dory Hagler, which is just kind of where I put everything. And then I have a Me and Eve Facebook page as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure uh, that, that everyone right. has those links too. And then my email, Dory at DoryHagler.com. 
is uh, is a good way to to message me and 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 let me know. And then what I do is I just kind of put your contact information in a you know in a folder and and know um, like oh right I have to make you know if I'm in Nashville and if I'm here and if I'm there and uh, yeah. And then I guess the only other thing I would say is I love the fact that I have like an army of over a hundred people wearing my t-shirts that say, damn right. I ate the apple. And so, um, I, I sold them for the Kickstarter campaign, but I'm, I'm going to start selling them again because I actually think everyone's told me that when they give them as a gift, people love them. So I thought, Oh, this is a good way to kind of continue to fund this project. And so I'm offering them for sale again on my way on the me and Eve website. And, um, going to start promoting them as a as a holiday gift. Yes. I love this so much. I I love this conversation. I love the work you're doing. I love that we can get the t-shirt. I it is a really really great phrase to have on a t-shirt. So well played. And thank and you. Dory, I can't thank you enough. I feel like you crossing my path is just so inspiring. Not just because you're a podcast guest, but also I feel like, especially now that I've learned that you're also a little pixie-sized lady, too, with <laughs> with some fire, I was like, oh, my God, even more of a kindred soul than I thought. So I am deeply grateful for this conversation. I am definitely going to be continuing to follow your work. And we need to connect next time I'm in the city or know I'm going to be in the city with some bandwidth. I'll reach out so that we can we can coordinate a shoot as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. would love that. And um, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And, and thanks for inviting me to be on this. It's actually kind of remarkable hearing me speak as though I have like wisdom of a 50 something. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I'm like entering into that whatever crone stage of life. You know, <laughs> the, the wise the woman. Wise woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Before you skedaddle, this is Kara again, and I wanted to remind you that you can check out all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode. I gather them all up and we put them in a post and we make that available to you so that you don't have to find all of these things that Dory and I talked about. You can just go click on the links on the website. So you can find the show notes as always at levitalcoresalon.com. So L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S-S-A-L-O-N.com. And you can find those show notes posted under podcast. And also, they can be sent to you. So if you want an email twice a month and have the show notes sent directly to you, that you can just click through to listen to the show and then hit a click to find all the resources mentioned, that can be done. You can find that by scrolling down to the bottom of almost every page on that site and just signing up for the newsletter. So let's stay in touch and let's make it easy for you to know when the next show rolls out and be able to get in on all the resources mentioned. And as always, I want to 
thank so many people. I want to thank Dory for her time. I want to thank Craig Snyder for producing this show and making us women sound great and the levels not be all weird and just make it easy for you to listen and not have to strain or go deaf in different places. And I also want to thank Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing the kick-ass theme song and the High Dials for performing it and all of them collectively for letting me use it on this show and have a really cool theme song that I get jazzed when I hear it. So hopefully some of you do too. And most importantly, I want you to not forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let the bullshit or burnout slow you down. See you next time.